Hello, my name is Tanai and I'm a women's intimacy and empowerment coach. For years, I tried to heal what I thought was commitment phobia, and I realized that there's actually no such thing. This podcast is an opportunity to have conversations about what gets in the way of us creating real intimacy, and how can we have more deep and vulnerable connections in our relationships. This is Commitment Phobe. Hello, everybody. Before we move on to our conversation today, I have a really exciting opportunity to share with you. On March 27th, 1130 a.m. Eastern, I'm going to be leading a free three-hour workshop called Unapologetic about how to express yourself in your relationships authentically, unapologetically, and coming from the heart. I know many of you are out there struggling communicating your needs and expressing what you want in your relationships and saying how you feel or expressing your nose and setting your boundaries. And so often, even when you do that, you're overwhelmed with shame and guilt and wondering, did I say the right thing? What are they going to think? Or sometimes you're trying to express your feelings and you end up attacking someone and then they get defensive and then you're just in this spiral where the conversation really isn't going anywhere. From all the work that I've done, I've found that expressing yourself in relationships is way easier. It can be so easy to connect with someone with the right tools and with the right self-exploration of what is it that I want to say? How is it that I feel? So in this workshop, we're going to be talking about how to build that confidence and courage to ask for what you want and say your nose and say what you really feel in the moment. And then how to not step into that people-pleasing of caring what the other person's going to think or feeling guilty or wondering, did I say the right thing? So it's going to be taking your communication and your self-expression to the next level. If you're at a place where you're like, I don't even know what I want, that's perfect too. We're going to be talking about that. Because as you've all heard me talk about on this podcast, that's where I was. I was at a place where (laughs) in relationships with men especially, I had no idea what I want. And so often I, was, I wasn't I was saying how I was really feeling. I was just pretending I was trying to be perfect. I was trying to people please. So it is a topic of conversation that is very, very important to me and I'm very passionate to speak on. So I hope to see you there. If you wanna join, then just send me a DM on Instagram. Um, just message me, hi, I heard you on Commitment Phobe and I want a spot on the Unapologetic Workshop. And I'll give you the rest of the information. It's going to be three hours, complimentary, March 27th. And it's going to be very hands-on and powerful. So I hope to see you there. And enjoy the rest of today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Commitment Phobe. Today, I'm joined by Shelly Esses. And Shelly and I have exchanged a few conversations here and there. Before this, she was sent over by um, a woman who's taking one of my courses and I put out on my Instagram story that I want to start talking about sex on this podcast and have very open and vulnerable conversations and touch upon all things from shame to anatomy to performance to connection to spirituality just because I think that there's you know so much taboo taboo around these conversations and I'm sure Shelly can you know speak on that because she comes from a religious Jewish background, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to dive into that. 
She, um, Shelly's a marriage and family licensed therapist and, um, sexuality is something that she works with a lot with her clients. So I'll just let you introduce yourself. Yeah. Tell, tell my clients, what do you do exactly? Hi. So yeah, my name is Shelly Essis. I actually have a limited permit. My exam is in February. I had to push it off because I'm about to have a baby, but I think I'm going to pass. I think I'm going to pass my test and my exam and I'm going to be big detail there that you're like about to pop right now. (laughs) Yes. I, yes. So hopefully I will be that the licensed marriage and family therapist. I do work at the Long Island Institute of Sex Therapy for about five years now. Started as an intern and have a permanent position there now. So I'm a sex and relationship therapist as well. I'm also a postpartum doula. And my like ultimate style is um, experiential, which really helps people unblock honest emotional expression and really help people experience their inner experience and help them be more fully human. So um, that's like the basis of, I just want people to feel comfortable in their own skin and, and in their bodies. I love that because sexuality and like sex is just such a big part of being human and a lot of people feel like they're not connected to that or like it's wrong to be connected to that when it's really just another part of our expression just like eating and drinking and sneezing sneezing yeah literally (laughs) yeah so I really love that what was your experience growing up and and what led you to kind of work with sex therapy yeah that's a great question so it kind of happened I thought by a fluke, but going deeper and investigating, I think it was very much destined. I had a professor that once said one of the like channels a therapist take are they want to heal what has hurt them. And growing up, I think I had a lot of pain. I don't think I know I had a lot of pain surrounding my my sexual experience from a pretty young age. There was like some like foul play let's call it not the best exposure from like the outer circle this the community the people I was around I do feel really blessed that I came from a good family but there was definitely some difficult things that happened to me from a pretty young age that kind of just kept happening and happening and happening happening until I decided to heal and once I guess I felt pretty much healed, even though I'm always still healing, I guess it became this drive that I have to help people heal and get through difficult experiences to help them find the beauty and the, and like the, the love and compassion for their bodies and their sexuality. That's so beautiful. Did you feel growing up that that was a conversation that people had and and tell us a little bit about yeah what what kind of environment did you grow up in no sex was not I mean we, I had I mean, something I ask my clients all the time like where did you learn about sex it's like school okay well my school taught me like I had a song penis urethra vas deferens prostate bladder seminal vesicle for some reason I remember the boy's anatomy off by heart better <laughs> but it was very just like biology and pretty much abstinence more or less it was not discussed in my family love my family to pieces but I one time asked my mom like okay like like when I was like about to get married I'm like so why didn't you ever like have a sex talk with me 
lo and behold, I had definitely had sex at, by that point. She's like, well, my mom never did. It was just, no, when you wait till you get married. I'm like, but you knew that that wasn't the case for me. And she's like, right. And that was kind of how it began and ended. I think like it, where I grew up was just a mixture of like really just conservative, like not political, but like conservative, like family values mixed with also like religious values. So it was just like that in combination wasn't very like conducive to how I was, what I was being exposed to. I, I grew up in Canada, like in the Canadian culture and just what was happening in like the like 2005-2010 the music videos I was watching were definitely not telling me to be abstinent (laughs) (laughs) right yeah I can totally relate to that I I just I didn't I didn't I, I certainly hands down did not have a place to talk about anything and I actually wish I had gone to therapy and I do bring that up with my mom that I really, really, really wish I had gone to therapy um, from a young age. Yeah, I can I can totally relate. I was insanely afraid of, of many things. I was really afraid of getting my period. I was really afraid of, of men's bodies. I was really afraid of having sex with men. I was really afraid of, quote unquote, losing my virginity, which like only recently did I find out that there's not even such thing as as losing your virginity yeah yeah there's a lot of talk on that one yeah let's let's dive into that one what what's your experience um in in your clients and how that impacts women and men sure so I mean it's kind of like starts on like a little bit of like a sadder note but like when I have clients that come in saying that their first sexual encounter was not um their choice right away I'm gonna be like okay so that wasn't your virgin like let's that wasn't consensual and try to give them power to retake back I mean if they had if that was their only experience I so want to give them the power to have that like I'm going to choose who and when and where um and give them that but in general like people are absolutely like saying like what is virginity and smashing it to pieces I'm curious what you've heard. Yeah, you know, I think I grew up, um, I didn't grow up in a religious Jewish family, but but the Latin American Jews combined sort of like the Latin American um, values with the Eastern European values, because at least in my case, I came from an Eastern European family. So it was like a lot of emphasis on saving yourself for marriage and being modest and this whole concept of being a slut or being a prude and how the community might perceive you. So really, I think, I I think I I had the whole virginity thing tied with that, like tied with my reputation. And, um, and I saw it as like giving myself away. It wasn't, it wasn't something empowering at all. So I just love what you're saying about taking your power back uh, for these women who their first time wasn't consensual or, or their choice. Yeah, it's all about language. Absolutely. I'm so careful when I ask that question. Like, was your first sexual experience consensual? Mm-hmm. Super important. Also to note on my dad's side, he's Middle Eastern. So that culture I feel was also very like protective of the woman. And I always felt that there was such a huge difference between my brother or like males and females. I don't know if like that's also common for a lot of people, but 
probably. Yeah, I would love for you to talk about that. Tell us more about the differences that that you've seen. (laughs) Well, I'm laughing because just like recently, my brother had come home with like, whatever, like a pretty great sex story. And I was like shocked by my dad's reaction. He was like partying and dancing. And if I were to even like mention when I like mention like my period, it's like a total shutdown. Like, I don't want to hear about these things. Keep that to yourself. So I just thought the parallel even today is very much alive. It, it really is so strange. And I think as women, it creates so much shame. It really, yeah, like I think, I don't know any woman who can't relate to having shame growing up and having shame around their body and shame around their sexuality. Yeah, I actually just did a little presentation on the la- like the lack of sexual education equals shame in sexuality and it's this vicious cycle not giving like I don't know what the fear is of giving young children language education and awareness of their bodies and their bodies functionings I'm not sure why people are so afraid of it yeah what in in your perspective and what you've seen is the right time and place to start teaching these things to to children and how do you introduce that to them? So, I mean, I have a two-year-old and I thought it was really important that she knows what a vagina is. I know that in my place of work, we have really beautiful books for pretty young children, like probably three plus, two plus, where you slowly introduce kind of just like body positivity. And as the books kind of are like geared to get like a little bit five plus, eight plus, they become more and more advanced in giving like a shame-free educational lens on what the body does, what the body is capable of doing, and even what sex is. Just like the idea of what bodies can do together. Um, and I and I don't really see the problem if you are imparting this wisdom onto your children because that's a perfect opportunity to infuse your values into it too. I love that. Yeah, it's um, it's an, a perspective that I've never heard being worded that way. I thought a lot, I thought a lot about it. Yeah, yeah. Like you can just teach them honestly what goes on, and then and and kids can feel that really. Like kids can feel when you're respecting them and um, not withholding from them and instilling the values to them it creates like a bigger listening for them yeah and you can also like read your kids too like not all kids are going to be curious about these types of things the way others will so you can kind of like it's the same way that like I don't know every kid is different so same goes for how fast you want to talk to your kids about certain things Hmm. That's I yeah I you know it's something that 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 we don't really hear about so much like conversations around around um, health are are really up like you you read about those conversations about like what to eat um, emotions like teaching kids to be with their emotions but there isn't really that much talk around sex the sexuality piece and at least for me that would have made a really big difference growing up totally and like. I- for me, I was actually just thinking how like I'm super pregnant and I'm like, there's something off with my pelvic floor. 
And then I, I, I've been like in contact with the pelvic floor physical therapist through work too. So I learned so much that has to do with posture and going to the bathroom and other organ functions. And that is information that young girls should absolutely have access to because there's certain exercises you can do to strengthen your pelvic floor, which isn't like only, oh, well, you should have a good pelvic floor so you can have good sex. It's like, no, you should have a strong pelvic floor so you can go to the bathroom properly so that your hips don't hurt, so that your like whole body functions just a little bit better. Um, and I was thinking like, yeah, I'm going to tell my daughter about her pelvic floor. Oh, I love that. I mean, really, the more that we talk about things, the less shame. And I know that shame is also connected to tightening that the pelvic floor right? Like if you're not connected to that area, then of course your body starts rejecting it almost. Yeah. Like vaginismus, vulvodynia, vaginosis. They actually just changed it to, I forget the newest diagnosis, but it's essentially the tightening of the pelvic floor muscles where some women can't put a Q-tip up their hole. Wow, not even a Q-tip. Or some people, it will be like a Q-tip. Yes, finger, no. And like something that I had to learn was like, it doesn't always come from like a horrible sexual experience. It can come from your mind. It can come from negative bad thoughts just coming your way about sex. That could cause such a huge issue that you cannot insert something. Interesting. Like a movie scene. Uh huh. Yeah. What have you seen? If you if you've worked with clients who who've had this, could you could you share a little bit about what the process works? And oh yeah, absolutely. First, we want to make sure or to see if it's if there's ever been a time where this wasn't a problem. Um, and kind of invest. And if like there was like a starting point, what happened? And again, it's not like oh, so were you sexually abused at that point? No, just like what happened. Sometimes it is connected to birth. Sometimes it is connected to a certain situation. And birth as in their own birth or giving birth? Giving birth. Sorry if I wasn't clear. Yeah. So sometimes women who give birth, like it could, A, it could affect their pelvic floor just because that's something that could happen. But it also could be a fear of like, whoa, like I don't want to put anything inside there. I'm really, really scared. And it could go either way. Essentially, like we want to look if there's like a mental aspect or if there was some physical abuse that's triggering memories, causing it. So you kind of just want to identify like what happened, what's going on. Um, And that way, when we are trying to work on it, we have way more awareness of what's going on so that we can try to like work through it, camouflage it, create safety, um, very specific safety to try to relax the pelvic floor muscles. And there's these little cute dilators that come in like six sizes. The first one is so cute and small, like I guess a little bit bigger than a Q-tip to be fair. And you start by inserting um, the first dilator size, keeping it in, maybe doing some Kegels or just keeping it in there for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes and feeling safe with it inside and working your way up. However, most people don't need to go to a size six. Most people actually only need to go to like a size three or four based on what's out there in at least Mm. the United States. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, and just learning to feel safe with something inside of of your vulva. Right. And that usually will be efficient for people who um, develop this because of psychological, mental blocks, triggers, and stuff. Unfortunately, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. The mind is so powerful. Yes, the mind is so powerful. Sometimes it is a medical thing. And then the pelvic floor physical therapist could be really helpful doing more like actual work with your pelvic well it will then be step two and that has been shown to be really 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 effective and I I haven't heard of an unsuccessful case but I know that they do exist I just don't know much about it for the most part I hear about success wow fascinating and I know that there's just so many women out there that feel so hopeless around this so so it's it's great that you know there's there's something to do about it and honestly like as as crazy as it sounds that it's the mind, it's also gives you hope because, you know, the mind is something that, that we can work with and change our perceptions and our beliefs and everything that's down deep in there. For sure. And also some something I like to like talk about a lot too is work through the vagus nerve, which is like our brains are like up. Think of our brains and our heads up and our organs down. So when we use our organs to do down to up regulation, like we're also using our organs to tell the mind, the amygdala specifically, like we're okay. Like, and utilizing that connection, the body-mind connection is so powerful and so effective. And yeah, I never thought about it in, in like sex because I, of course, I've worked on it in other ways, but it, of course, it makes sense too with, with our sexual organs. And what do you see, um, what have you seen so far are the most common struggles that men have when it comes to to sex it's one of my favorite topics I know that's why I'm like you you (laughs) you actually spoke about this on it uh, you know you sent me a video so I'm like let's talk about it Hmm. and why why is it one of your favorite topics I'm curious like I came in with this whole like I'm a woman's like advocate I have a postpartum doula like I've got women's women's wisdom, but men were just coming to me like I and like the, my majority of my clients today are men, <laughs> and I think it's because I I ha, I have a very, I, I'm trying to have a healing relationship with all the men in my life, and it becomes apparent in my work too. And I think it shows up in my work because. The, the men in my family or like my like close friendships are dealing with self-esteem issues and those are the it's like I have a sticker on my head if you have low self-esteem and you're a male come to Shelly honestly I mean that's that's literally your dharma that's your, your purpose you know you it's it's like you go out there and you think it's going to be one thing and then life has a totally different plan for you and and you just kind of go for, for what flows right yeah exactly yeah I mean I don't know about you but I also grew up thinking men didn't have insecurities you know because men because like what I was taught and what I was seeing is that men were the ones that made the first move men were the ones that had a more sexual experience um men had less shame it was all of this you know all these stories that warped my perception and so when I started learning that men had insecurities I was like what that doesn't make any sense I definitely can understand that. I that's definitely what was trying, what what the world was trying to teach me, 
but from now like looking back kind of is hitting home like since I was for sure in high school those were the guys that were like coming into my life guys who were didn't fit that mold and I was best friends with a ton of guys who like would break down and like talk to me about all these things and I'm like whoa (laughs) this is a different world and yeah what kind of things what kind of things come up um around sex well, now I'm just thinking about my clients. Like, there's the like, there's so many like mental like erect like ED, um, premature ejaculation that is coming up because they just are so nervous. Like a conversation I have pretty often um, is like guys, not obviously all the guys I have experience working with are kind of saying things along the lines of like, well. I don't want to like hurt these women's feelings. Like I don't want to assume that they're only interested in a one night stand. And I said, well, well, wait, why can't a woman want a one night stand? Why can't a woman also just be interested in just sex? If that's like, if you're using certain apps, that that's what it's about. Like even like, what I, I like missed the app world, but Tinder, I'm pretty sure is pretty like, I want to just hook up more or less. And some of these guys are using Tinder or apps that are like really hookup based and they still have these preconceived notions that women don't have a high sex drive, don't want to go in and out. And I'm, and th- there's a lot of normalizing there of like, um, it's kind of like the inverted weird, like you're trying to like respect something that's not there. So helping them wow, re- respect something that's not there. So then how does that show up for them in their performance or in their presence when they're having sex? They're just overthinking, a lot of overthinking. And, oh, okay, well, the biggest thing that I keep seeing over and over and over again, and I did talk about it, was these uh, the guys I have experience working with want to be a little bit submissive. And that's also not okay. That's also not normalized where like I had one guy say to me, I hope he like doesn't hear me. <laughs> um, but he was like, I just want to like receive, 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 receive. And I don't want to give. And I was like, okay. Like, I mean, of course you have to have that conversation. And like, it is like, a, you, you guys have to decide, but open up that conversation. Like there's nothing like, may, like maybe one day you'll find that, that woman or partner who loves to give and give and give and give and isn't so interested in receiving. That's just something you should look for. And that blew his mind. Wow. I love that. That blew yeah, his mind. Yeah, of course. I mean, I can just imagine. And I really think it all comes back, like you said, to having those conversations. We just lack the tools to create like containers to be able to speak what it is that we're looking for. Even like you said, when, when it's about men who aren't sure if the woman is um, okay with just having sex, right? Yeah, it's all about the lack of communication, self-esteem, lack of the language. I, I, I'm really big on just saying most people just are not familiar with the language communication of sex and their bodies. Like a lot of people have a hard time, and I'm not even just talking about religious people, like secular people who were not raised with any religious upbringing, when I'm like, okay, like, can you say this? Repeat after me. I like it when you cup my testicles. I like it when you pull my nipples. Like we go over like sentences and it's like, 
Um, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I'm not going to lie. I'm not totally surprised because there's been instances where I've asked men, what do you want? And they're like, like suddenly they, they're like paralyzed. And, and thankfully, you know, I, thankfully I do have, you know, openness in my communication. So what follows is I'm saying like, actually, I've never been asked before. So can you give me some time until I figure it out? And it's like, they know. It's just, they've never been asked before. So in that moment, they, like you said, they don't have the language. Yeah. It's wild and so simple. You know, that's, that's the whole thing about sex that it's like, we think it's such a complicated thing when it's so simple. And it all comes back to teaching your children your anatomy. Like if you never had like a safe adult person, like talk to you and like use the word testicles, labia, scrotum, vulva, in like a safe way to just like describe your body. Like, yeah, it, it turns into like, oh, these are weird words. And then like, okay, learning it in like a biology class in front of all your peers, is that ideal? Probably not. And then you hear it in the media and then, yeah, and then it's like people aren't empowered around these words. Like I come from a community where um, we, we, we say we've reclaimed the word pussy because it's, it's like we use it in an empowering way when I mean growing up pussy was like not even a word you're allowed to use, you know, and I'm doing air quotes there because it's crazy to think that but yeah it's um you know if I of course there's an impact when we're raising our kids having nicknames for our vaginas and nicknames for penis and not really just saying the word yeah and like I mean I, I, like, like the, there is like a space to kind of like have a nickname if like they're really little or like really little but also them like I yeah like I I do have like a like a milder word I use with my daughter but every once in a while I'm like Maya where's your vagina and then she's like right here (laughs) I'm like good don't forget I love that (laughs) (laughs) yeah what what do you see in your clients in um and how connected they are to their to their sex organs aside from them being organs to use for sex like do you know what I mean like do they just see do do you see that a lot of people just see it as oh this is what I used to have sex yeah pretty pretty much um and then like even if we just talk about like they also urinate from it that's always like a pretty but, but surprisingly it's actually like I see them making connections in their head um and a lot of most people actually don't know that men also have pelvic floors that can affect their bathroom use and their posture and their organs. Um, so just like opening up as much conversation about what like body parts do and like the importance of like just allowing yourself to be in touch with the inner beauty of every organ and every body part having it be a part of the whole of who you are and what you are. Oh, yeah, that's so beautiful. I mean, it's, um, I love what you just said about it, just being a part of, of the whole of who you are, because I think it's, you know, like just connecting to, to those parts of our bodies can give us so much power and confidence. And, um, at least like in the case of 
of a womb, like that's where we create life. You know, it's it's the source of life. And I think um, it's such a sacred place and it's made such a big difference for me to see it that way. Well, my original like thing that popped into my head was like, I know so much more about the female body because I, I, I do. I am a proud female vulva owner and I'm very happy with my abilities in terms of my organs. And I view my uterus and my eggs as like so holy, so sacred, just like this incredible portal to like the above and below and I feel so connected to the whole universe in my uterus right exactly like it's such a beautiful opening when you start seeing it that way how so I actually recently um a group program that I have one of one of my clients asked she she said I really don't feel like connected to my sexuality and I don't feel like a sexual being would you say that there is such thing as people who aren't sexual beings? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely that term asexual and there was just an asexual awareness month and there's different levels of being asexual where some people are capable of having like basic-ish romantic relationships, um, not based on attraction, but based on like personality and vibes. And then it kind of like goes down the spectrum where like there are some people who really just don't want to be in a relationship at all. However, I don't usually jump to that conclusion um, unless they like are like, no, I'm asexual 100% and that's what it is. And I don't want to like, you know, discredit anyone. But there's actually this really awesome um, inventory quiz type thing called the SESI, S-E-S-S-I. I could totally send that to you where it just helps people like it asks uh, so many questions to help people realize like what little things um, that we don't think about are turn-ons or, or specifically not turn-ons and it actually helps people connect to their arousal abilities and um, good feelings of like inner butterflies with things that they might not attribute to sexuality because they've never have been asked about it they've never been asked to think about it they don't associate it to sex or maybe somewhere along the lines they were taught not to associate it to sex or to shut it off so a lot of exploration is key in those cases I would say Um, but to still respect though that like asexual people are absolutely a valid um, community yeah so so what you're saying is that it can just be a simple as asking yourself questions of what turns you on and that people just don't associate turn on with certain things. Yeah. It can be that simple. That's crazy. Like there's the, I, 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 I have such a pregnancy brain right now and I'm trying to think of the questions in the inventory where I, like I remember doing it myself and there was a, a good solid like 15 questions where I remember being like, I wouldn't have thought to ask this myself I haven't even asked myself some of these questions um it also ex- makes you kind of think about like well if I were to watch a movie scene or read a book like what like time era like do I feel like I wish I could live in 
hmm, okay, like for me, I when I was younger, I used to love the medieval times. Like I, I would love going to the medieval fairs. And then like the, it kind of asks you to think like, well, could you imagine yourself in like a sexy scene in the medieval times or whatever, like scene you like? <laughs> I love it that. opens things up. I love that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's just, you know, because I feel like my my instinct goes to, oh, wow, maybe something suppressed, maybe something happened. But But I just love that you're saying that it's so accessible, that it's just about starting the conversations and about thinking about things in in different ways. Oh, for sure. I think that's like a major part of what I do is I basically view myself as like in the room as the therapist as just like, I'm going to open up a bunch of conversations. Yeah. Open up some doors. Mm. What, um, What have you seen as the impact of people connecting to their sexuality um, for the first time or opening that relationship to themselves? Empowerment, self-love, self-beauty, um, humility. In some cases where I was helping people transition, gender euphoria, which is always so nice to see. Um, and just gratitude. like. Once people are more connected in their own bodies and feel like generally okay with their bodies, they're not thinking about themselves as much. They're not worried about themselves as much. And there's way more room for gratitude. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of like removing the thing that's, that you're fixated on. I can totally relate to that. I used to hate my body and that's all I thought about. Now I don't think about it at all. Yeah. And it's like weird to think like someone who's like, you know, having issues with like body self-esteem that like it's kind of this like like uh an obsession of self and removing that is so much more like healthy which you kind of make sense but it's so sad to say like someone who's really deeply struggling is like self-centered but it's true like <laughs> yeah that makes sense I mean whatever you're obsessing about, right? It's it's like I, I also see kind of like infatuation and hatred as the same thing because you're really just giving someone else your power. You're obsessing about them. You're, you're giving your energy away to them. I really see it as the same thing. I don't see love and hate as the opposites. Yeah, no, I love that. I love what you're saying. Yeah, that's great. For sure. Hatred is such a waste of time. Something else. So do you work with, with youth? currently a lot is that, is that um, a focus no uh we at the clinic are eight pretty much 18 plus I think once I had a 17 year old female um it's it's just with with uh, uh consent and stuff sometimes it's just trickier oh, and, yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah and you're also doing yeah because I wanted to ask um I mean maybe you have worked in the past in, in this young generation but I'm curious what what this young generation's relationship to their bodies are because I mean with social media I know things must be you know hard but also I know there's a lot of positive like body positivity messages going around and it's kind of different at least than when our you know in our times when it was like you know all these celebrities were were being forced to be super thin um, and that's the image the images that we got so do you know about the state of body positivity for the youth right now? I, I, I am like 
a little bit familiar, I have to take continuing education courses. And I was really lucky to attend the ASECT, which is ASECT is the American Association for Sex Educators and Therapists. And they talked a lot about um, statistics and um, various information about the younger generation and how they're being taught sex ed, how they're dealing with the lack of sexual education. And I, I was able to hear from a few younger kids at these like panels and stuff. And it, honestly, you can just like hop onto Instagram. I don't have um, TikTok, but apparently they're like making awesome content on TikTok with such body positivity. But really like these, well, the fact that like you're having a lot of young people, I mean like 14, 15 coming out uh, as gay or lesbian or even trans and stuff like, like just being able to express their sexuality because they have the language is really just so different than from what like our generation was exposed to. And they are demanding that things be different. And, I, and that is quite apparent. The, re, the, the statistics that are coming up is that um, they want more information accessible. They do have like some sources that they've like asked for and that they've been given. And through that, the statistics are saying that they do have more language for their sexual like preferences specifically was on like them just knowing at least that they're trying to explore their sexuality based on the language. Wow. Um, do you see any impact on the, on the Orthodox community? Yeah, actually. Yes. Like I'd love to hear about that. The amount of, like, I thought I was unique or something. I mean, to be fair, like, I'm not like super Orthodox at all. I'm pretty modern. I don't even know what I am. No box. But I, I like, I believe and like, I'm trying I, and I can talk to people who are super orthodox. I know the rules and guidelines and all of that stuff. I, I thought I was entering this space unique. And I at first was shocked. But then I was like, well, I'm so happy that there are so many orthodox females and males talking about sexuality. Oh, I love about that. I actually really want to go to this podcast by um, his name. He's a LCSW Shimmy Fine Tough. And he's going to be talking to specifically Orthodox therapists who want to learn more about the LGBTQ community. And it is so necessary. And That's so, so beautiful. Yeah. And it, it, it's, there's still a lot of resistance and there's still a lot of shaming, but it's, it's a, it's a revolution. It's coming. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I think, you know, there was that, um, there was that, I don't know if it was a show or a movie on Netflix. Um, do you remember, what was the name of the the woman who leaves the community and she becomes a singer? She lives in Berlin. Oh, um, I know the actress who played her, Shira Haas. Um, was it unorthodox? There's a lot of... Yeah, I wonder, if, I wonder if it was unorthodox. But there's that scene where... You know, she has no idea what's about to happen in sex. So then this woman comes over to her um, and teaches her basically what's, you know, what's going to happen. And she has a hard time having, yeah, getting pregnant. Um, so, yeah, it's just, 
interesting, you know, how they portray that on Netflix, how, you know, women in the community have no idea and someone has to come and teach them. And yeah. Well, I, 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 that scene actually came up a lot in my work. We were actually like impressed that they use dilators and that they knew what dilators were. So like, I was able to see the positive in that too. Um, in the ultra, ultra, ultra Orthodox world, there is not so much um, information coming out because there's, I mean, information available to them because there's also like a pretty deep rule, halacha, if you're familiar with that word, um, that you're not supposed to speak badly about your your spouse or your father or your mother. And obviously in therapy, like that would be okay. But the lack of understanding and knowledge of what therapy even is, is like missing there. So that like connection of like, well, I can't speak poorly about someone in my family, so I can't go to therapy. But the therapy world is starting to become bigger and bigger and bigger, even in those ultra orthodox worlds. So it's also happening there just a little bit slower. Yeah. That's super interesting though. Yeah. And like the connection. Yeah. makes sense that, um, that they wouldn't feel comfortable to speak about others. If of course I I'm very familiar with, yeah. With that law. Yeah. And like, I get it. Like respect your parents. Absolutely. Like that's something that's super important to me but when it comes to therapy like there's actually a second like a, like a different halakha or like an understanding of it that like it's also so important for you to find a person to talk about these things suppressing something and shoving it down is also totally not okay so it's just finding the balance and again it all comes back to teaching your children like and what I said earlier like there's just a fear especially in the ultra-Orthodox world where they really don't, like their values are do not partake in any sexual activity before marriage. So I think like the fear is like, if they have the language, they're going to be more in, 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 enticed to, to participate in such activities. But I think that there is some flaws in that. Yeah. You know, hearing you talk, it kind of also makes me think of the lack of conversation on orgasms and self-pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. I just love to hear with your clients and your work, what's like the most common um, misconception that, that they have around self-pleasure or orgasm. Like to be completely fair, like I think like first normalizing that all vulvas and penises look different (laughs) Um, and that there's many different ways to achieve orgasm, that there's different techniques is a major part there's a fantastic website called is it oh my god yes or yes omg i'm literally gonna google it right now it's super super, it's a fantastic resource it's videos of wholesome women and the video camera like zooming up onto their vulvas showing all the different colors types hair not hair zooming in and showing the different techniques and they're showing people like what edging looks like what um circle motion what all these different techniques are literally zoomed in so you get to see it and I also tell guys because guys like I don't know what to do to the women and the women don't know you know what to do with themselves so just exposing them showing them like there's different color shapes sizes 
and there's different Yeah, what a difference than learning from porn where everything looks the same and you yeah, it's it's there's no communication. You don't really get that zoomed in like variety of of how to do things. Yeah, I mean we're Yeah. most of the, most of our most of the people around us have learned from porn. Yeah. So it's called ohmygodyes.com. Um like the there there is some free videos. There is like a like a like videos that you can pay for, but there are some free content and it's really like again like it's wholesome women. They're like totally dressed, wearing clothes. There's also like a variety of ages, obviously from legal. So I guess probably between like 21 and like I I think the oldest woman I saw was like 60, 60 ish, and she was so cool. Oh man, so she was cool. The yeah, <laughs> and like they're just like talking about like who they are, what they are. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, whoop, you get right into their vulva area. So it's really, it's really a great resource to help people feel normal that like they might like it really, really, really fast and then really slow or the opposite. They need it to start really slow, gradually work their way up. I'm talking specifically about women at this point. Some of them need like tickles or they need like certain areas touched or certain areas to be avoided. And it really just gives like a full range of all these like, seriously, like wide range of discussions of how women are masturbating and how many times they're able to orgasm. The older lady, I'm telling you, best one, she was like, yes, I'll go for, I'll pick a night. I'll have all my like candles, my blanket, all my toys out, and I'll try to go like five times. And I'm like, yes, lady. <laughs> That's so cool. And, you know, I'm, I, like, it just makes me think of what we said in the beginning of the conversation, which is that sex is just as, you know, common as burping or eating or, um, or drinking. And, and I think when we think of sex, we think of it as like, this high intensity, um, turned on experience in the beginning. And what I'm hearing is the opportunity to first get to know each other and then have that turn into a more like connected experience. But it's so different to think, okay, let's slow down. Let's learn about each other. And then we can like let go as opposed to having it be unconscious and like figure it out without communication. And at the same time, you're in your head like so different to see it as like, okay, let me get to know you, what you need, what turns you on. I'll tell you what I need, what turns me on. And then we can get together. I have married couples. I've seen married couples come in like 10 years of marriage even. And they're talking and something that they both will basically say is, why can't he read my mind? Why can't she read my mind? Well, have you ever talked about what you want? And they're like, no. Well, well, there's a thing. I get it. Like, it's like it's like a coffee order. Like, I don't expect my husband to know my coffee order without telling him. But if five years down the line, like, he doesn't know my coffee order, yeah, I'm going to, like, kick his ass. But, like, I'm going to probably need to tell him for, like, a good six months. Like, oat milk. <laughs> right, but it's like. If we don't expect our partners to know our coffee order, why do we expect them to know our sex order? Yeah. 
Exactly. And to be fair, there's times my husband gets it wrong, my coffee order. And so I have to retell him. So same, and I, I use the coffee order analogy a lot. I'm like, and also I want you to grow and want to explore in your sexual like toolbox. So like, let's say every, I don't know, might look different for everyone every six months, every two years, every five years, reopen up that conversation and be like, Hey, let's check in. Like, is there any new moves? Is there any like thing that maybe you grew out of? Is there anything that you want to try? Um, any new fantasies and reopen that because like we should be growing and it's awesome to want to explore more because it, like the more we feel comfortable and safe with a person, hopefully that's paralleled with like more like curiosity and um, rambunctious play. I could just hear you speak for for a day. Seriously, I just love the amount of approval that you bring to just talking about these things. Because I think, yeah, I, I mean, because of m- movies and, and media and porn, sex is such a, like, unspoken thing, you know? And, and, um, and most of the time what we're seeing is drunk sex. So it's, it's just... Yeah, it's just it's just really refreshing to hear someone talk about it as like let's sit down and talk about it like a normal conversation without the fear of that killing the turn off because at least for me like growing up I thought that talking about it like a normal conversation was going to take the sexy out. So many people think that and sometimes I feel like I spend like six sessions normalizing that. Okay, so let's say it is a turn off for now. Then let's get it over with. <laughs> like Let's deal with it. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to not having connected sex kind or of, being resentful. Yeah. Or it or yeah. always like getting I have like another couple where they always talk about getting to a certain place and then the whole mind reading thing comes in, but they refuse to talk about it because it ruins it. And I'm like, okay, so we could have this awkward conversation and really talk about it and figure it out. Or we could just live here where you guys get to the same point every time and can't make it through. It's up to you. Damn. I mean, it's it's like the same for anything else. It's like if you don't talk to your partner about the ways they're annoying you or about the things that they're doing that are upsetting you, then you can just hold that in the whole time. And, you know, I mean, we, we I can have you on another time and we can dive deeper into the whole commitment phobe thing, but... But that I always say on this podcast that that was a thing for me that I just was refusing to have the conversations about what I didn't like or what I wanted. And so it just snowballed into anxiety and disconnection. And then it eventually turned into disinterest. I just didn't want to be with a person yep. anymore. Exactly. And when, and when like to notice that pattern, how often are we becoming disinterested and turning away and then really just tracing it back? What's going on? Communication most of the time damn so can you like have you seen in part in partners or do you think that you can reignite that fire by continuously making communication a practice yeah yes like I want to like like, uh, help people feel whatever helps them and like if not needing to talk during a sexual encounter which that is also common people who want to like bliss out kind of be in a meditative state in order to achieve orgasm like I want to help them um like I want to you know really make sure that like everyone is able to get what they need to orgasm however like then there needs to be a set time and place where there is still communication right maybe not during the act itself 
or like yeah mm, that is so powerful this is medicine this is truly medicine and and so um just so refreshing to hear that it's so accessible that you don't need to go take like a you know I mean tantra is cool but it doesn't have to go as far as like taking and you know a tantra class or um or diving into your sexual trauma like it could just be as easy as let's get to know what each other wants let's get to know our body parts um let's communicate yeah i know like we're like about done but that's absolutely exactly like how i feel like let's simplify and make like talking about our bodies organic and just normalize let's just normalize our bodies and our love for our body and appreciation for body and that meaning every single part of it and just slowly like remove the shame and the guilt that's just not necessary amen mic drop for real (laughs) thank you so so much for pouring out so much love into this conversation and um opening my eyes into how easy it can be to talk about this and how accessible it can be for couples, um, single, married, dating, on Tinder, not on Tinder. It really could start with someone like looking in the mirror and like practicing saying like, I'm just making this up. Like, I really like it when you tug at my nipple and to practice saying it in front of the mirror, in front of yourself, the same way of like people often say like, if you want to like learn your body, try to masturbate. It's like, well, also you can try to say like the your buzzwords. Like, I really like it when you pull on my clit or I really like it when you cut my scrotum while you're using your hand in this way and practicing yeah. it. Oh, so good. Holy well, language. thank you so much. How can my clients get in touch with you? Sorry, how can my listeners get in touch with you? How can my listeners get in touch with you, connect with you, work with you? Um, Yeah, tell us everything. I, if you just go to like, if you could just type in on Google Long Island Institute of Sex Therapy, I'm on the, my team. My name is Shelly SS. Um, I have an Instagram page, ShellyRachel.LPMFT, I think. I'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) Okay. Um, And I am going on postpartum, but leave on a maternity leave but I will be back in March and would love to work with or help resource with people I'm open awesome thank you yeah my pleasure thank you so much for having me this conversation has been so awesome and I love your pink hair hey you thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of commitment phobe If you like what you heard, make sure to share with your friends, your lovers, your ex-lovers, anyone that you think could benefit from having a conversation like this one. And it would be super helpful if you subscribed and left a five-star rating on iTunes to make sure that this podcast gets spread around to as many listeners as possible and we can start changing the conversation that we have around intimacy and relationships. If you want to find out more information about what I do as a women's coach and some of my other projects that I'm working on, you can find my information in the bio of this episode, or you can reach out to me directly on Instagram and shoot me any questions that you have. See you next time.